I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson today discussing the never discussed, never challenged, never questioned PFF position rankings, mm. which are all out over at PFF.com. And then looking at those Almost position. All. What's that? Almost all. Almost all. Safeties aren't it. Okay. Well, I know that because I haven't written them yet. They're on their way out. Yeah. Player, player position rankings and... I think we're going to use those to find a, kind of find the strengths and weaknesses around the NFL. Yeah. Or discuss why that might be. Yeah, it's interesting when you start, you know, you, you've got a vague idea of how many good players there are across the league. how many, you know, But when you start writing out the top 32 players at a specific position, and in some positions, you've got tons of them, right? Everybody you're writing up is a, an extremely good player. You're only saying good things about them. You're, you're not having to manufacture good things to say about them. It's all fantastic. Other positions very quickly in the list you're like wow this guy isn't that good at all <laughs> he's in the top 32 in whatever position this is this is a weak spot in the nfl so you're um do we have a, a nice landing spot i know the uh linebackers have been an issue for you but i think it, it's part of it's going to be what we've discussed before it's the nature of the position yeah that might be skewing your perception we'll discuss you're either right i mean you could be right but um might be skewing your perception of okay. the position a little bit. Uh, do we have to talk quarterback rankings? Yeah, I mean, sure. It's part of the rankings. All right, that started. It was uh, Bruce Gradkowski. I, I helped with the list initially. I got messages from people wanting me to comment on this, so I didn't know if my name was attached to the article or not. It was initially, oh. but... Um, no, we just get... We, uh, we're, it's all our fault, regardless of who wrote yeah. them. <laughs> so the, um, the QB rankings and... Uh, we went Patrick Mahomes number one, and you know I think Brady and Rodgers, we both we all debated two and three, and they were both there. And yeah. Russell Wilson was four, Deshaun Watson five. I think after that though, I think after the top five, there's a lot of questions. I think that's where it started to become interchangeable in a quarterback ranking list. And you know me, I, I like oh, tiers more oh, than this one to oh, thirty-two thing. Oh, you you were not putting Josh Allen to that top group, and yet you are claiming the next group are interchangeable. I need to see more evidence from Josh Allen. I think that's fair. Is it? Yeah. I mean, you're a man that's uh, spent a lot of time on the wrong side of the tracks when it comes to the Josh Allen experience. I would say I spent um, two-thirds of his career on the right side of the tracks. I think Not that's enough. the way I would – I think that's the way I would break it down. Yeah, but the most recent third is, is the one where you're falling foul. Yeah. I'll, I'll bring it up again. Lamar Jackson last year at this time would absolutely have been – you know, probably sixth or seventh or whatever, you know, <laughs> coming off his MVP season. The other thing that's funny about these lists is that there's like no position you can rank a guy other than first where somebody isn't going to claim disrespect. Yeah, of course. It's like, oh, you gotta, you're going to feels... rank the number fifth player, the number five player in the NFL. That's just, that's blatant disrespect. 
you 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 are insulting this human being with this ranking. You're like we are saying there's only four players in the NFL at that position better than this guy. That's an incredibly rare place to be. It's a fantastic ranking. You know, deal with it. All right. So once again, I think the quarterback stuff should be more tier based anyway. So we've always used this idea that there's there's the tier one of quarterbacks. Uh, Hang on. We managed to manufacture a picture of Roethlisberger next to Bruce in this article. Oh, we did. Wow. Yes. Look at that. Who who managed to make that happen? We get Bruce. Bruce is, wrote it. Has Bruce got like a writer in his contract that he gets a yeah. like playing time photo? Why do we keep putting the pictures above the guy's name instead of below? It's very confusing. I, is that just like the, the way it's supposed to be editorially? I don't like it. I don't know. It's confusing. Take it up with uh, it should be under Roethlisberger's name, take under his write up. Take it up with Chichester. Mark, if you're listening, come on, flip the pictures, man. They should be under. So yeah, Mark, Bruce uh, got his own picture there. Mark Chichester is, is one of our editors here at PFF. And because we're in America, you guys refer to him as Chichester because you can't say names right. I just never say his last name. Well, no, you've learned that you can't say it, so you just don't say it. But other people are like, other people being Americanized look at that and they're like, Chichester. And we appear to have collectively as a company just decided to roll with mispronouncing Please. his name. I did not. I did not sign off on these rankings. Wentz and Goff are that low? <laughs> well, yeah. That's, that's a little ridiculous. They've both been pretty bad for a while. That's a little ridiculous. They haven't been bad for a while. Are you comfortable with the, uh, the Jameis? They should be the, ahead of Daniel Jones. The Jason or Tamus being, being 24? Not I like the way of, that we've just lumped them as one human. Well, because we're ranking the starters. So, Tamus has to be the starter. <laughs> so, yeah, Goff is too low. That's why I was getting messages about, hey, that Goff – Rankings interesting, and I didn't even see. I was on vacation. I was on the beach, getting. Mm. Yeah, you know, I don't know what the, I don't know what the final ranking was, and then I see it's twenty six. Jared Goff should be higher than twenty six. Goff and Wentz should both be right around twenty. Honestly, I think they're both where a couple years ago when we did this, Jameis and Mariota were both like 19, 20, 21, like in that range, and I think that's probably where Goff and Wentz are. But more importantly, it's about the tiers, and and here's what I would here's what I would say, right? In the last decade, I keep coming back to Brady, Breeze, Rodgers, Peyton, right? Those were the guys, tier one quarterbacks. There's little debate. No matter how you slice the last 15 years of NFL football, those are the, the top guys. Mahomes is now in that group. And then Brady and Rodgers are just at the tail end of their career. So if you want to call them tier one or tier two, whatever you want to say. I think Wilson, I think Russell Wilson does the second half of the season last year diminish Russell Wilson being in that tier one quarterback group because he was for a year and a half it was like all right he's there Tim and Mahomes I think he's probably he's probably still in that group but he's in the he's the most fragile member of it right like Russell Wilson has multiple seasons with that kind of level play not just the um, couple of years before things unspooled at the second half of last season but like his rookie year was basically a 90 graded season he's been at that kind of level for a lot of his career now he's also had seasons where he's below that but I think you can give him the benefit of the doubt that he's he's up there at that level he's just the one member of that group who you could see dropping below that level much more readily than the others who's in there saying I need some sunscreen from the PFF account and the YouTube mentioned listen somebody fixed the lighting in here it's not me all I wore was sunscreen all last week yeah this is the lighting. Well, this is like after a week of sun. That, I look tan. That shows how bad you uh, you must have been to start with. I don't. And you're. I mean, I'm okay because I'm Irish, and therefore, like Billy, you know, Billy Connolly, the old comedian, 
Scottish comedian. Sure. Very old. You, you know, you know. Yeah. He, Billy, Billy C. He had this bit that, you know, for, for a Celtic person, like you don't start off pink or white. You have to get to that. You start off as pale blue. You need like a week in the sun to get to the point of being like ivory white. And then, you know, another week to get to any stage of brown. Like you start off in a completely different world. So I'm okay. I don't, you know, I'm fine. People expect me to be pale. You, you don't have the excuse. You got, I mean, Italian heritage, you should be, you should be I, already there. I tan well, but I would say I, I covered myself with all sorts of sunscreen. I so I did well. not tan all that well on our trip. Huh? And I think this is the lighting. The lighting. That's yes. what you're blaming for this. Yes. Okay. It's a lighting issue. A lighting so issue. Fix the lighting. Hmm. Oh, Alyssa says it's the, uh, the different camera because one of our cameras broke. So, so it's the camera. There's a coloring problem on you. Yeah, so it's not me. It's the camera problem, yeah. So get yeah. out of there, Pro Football Focus account. You do have a history, though, of uh, appearing on camera for PFF looking rather ghostly. Ghostly? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had, we had the makeup incident of As 2020. As does pertain to ghosts. We did, have the one, we did have the one incident of 2020. Yeah. All right, so Wilson's a fragile member of Tier 1. I would say Deshaun Watson, too. As much as we've raved about how well he played last year, he, was, he went from good, solid quarterback to having his first elite year. So if I mean, I'm that gonna, was his Josh Allen year in terms of like those. It was I a mean, smaller jump, right? Sure. But that's the first year. What I mean by that is it's the first year that he and Josh Allen were in that 90-grade tier of genuinely elite quarterback play. Will, uh, Watson just had a shorter jump to get there. Right, and I think, I think that's where you could put like Dak – Dak is another one of those guys who's just been solid, solid, solid. And there is something, if you've just been, this is what Watson did. If you've just been solid for a few years, this is what Luck did too. If you're solid for four or five years, that does, you know, give you that opportunity to jump into the elite yeah, tier, I mean, so to speak. It's easier to catch lightning in a bottle if you're coming from a stage of like 85 grades than it is if you're coming. This is like. I'm not even calling this light. I, I just think that's. But what, like, it's easier to catch that season where things go in your direction. You end up with that phenomenal 90 MVP level year versus the thing that you keep expecting to happen for Jameis Winston where like suddenly the stars are all going to align and Jameis goes from like eh to MVP. I mean, Allen just did it, so <laughs> from, from further back. I'm just saying so it's here's easier my point. to happen. It's easier to achieve if you're already like starting off from a much higher baseline. I've always described the tier one quarterback as the guy that – you know, just he's going to carry the team. Almost doesn't matter what's around him. We've seen the Peytons and Bradys and Rogers and Breezes of the world deal with different supporting casts. We've seen them deal with different situations and all that stuff. And for the most part, they've been great throughout their entire career. So, Mahomes might be the only guy that you could truly trust in that tier going forward. And even then, yeah. we still haven't seen. I keep saying we still haven't seen him without Tyreek and Kelsey and, and right. Reed. When you when you factor in age, Mahomes is the one bulletproof member of this entire ranking so right? my, like Brady at some point surely at 43 44 has got to start like at some stage there has to be some kind of decline yeah. somewhere um Aaron Rodgers like the the match 2.0 Tom Brady and the golf thing right Brady they're all trash talking each other and Brady is like calling Rodgers a young buck Rodgers like 38 years old for God's sake yeah um, that Tom Brady's a funny guy yeah yeah but you know, at some point, Rodgers is probably going to start to slow down as well. Like, the big conundrum that anybody's facing if they're trying to trade for him is how many more elite Rodgers years can you bank on because he is 37, 38 years old. Um, so, yeah, when you when you factor in age, like, Mahomes is the one guy who you can just pencil in there for the next decade and not have to worry about it. 
So, so this is why, here's why I like tiers. I'm going to use your slider system okay. again. It's a good the, system. The better, the, you have two sliders, right? It's how good is the quarterback and then how good is the supporting well, you're cast. You're changing the slider. Yes. Wow. I'm saying the slide. I'm not talking about the arm strength slider. I'm using it for something else. Hmm. So you've got the slider of how good the quarterback is and how good is the supporting cast. The further to the right, the better the quarterback, the lower the supporting cast can go while still getting, say, above average or elite production or whatever you want that production to look like, right? So the tier two quarterback is the one I think is the most interesting going forward in the NFL right now. Because as much as we said, okay, there's this top four for the last 15 years, the next tier of quarterback over the last 10 years or so, Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck, Ben Roethlisberger, I'd say Philip Rivers, Matt Ryan, who am I missing in that group? There was like eight, there's like six or seven of them. And, and, and all those guys make up, it, it was, I think it was six. I think it was just six total. That might have been it. But it's just that, that and then, you know, I, th I think Watson's in that tier right now. But I think all of those guys that I'm mentioning are either retiring, getting older, retired, dropping up. So Wilson, so let's say he jumped up a, a, a spot. Who's that tier two in the NFL going forward? They, they, they need a little bit more supporting cast. They're not going to carry a team completely by themselves. But when you put the right supporting cast around, a.k.a. what Josh Allen had last year, you can get incredible play. Who is that next tier going forward? Because I think this is the part where it's just wide open in the NFL these days. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't people are going to get mad if we spend the whole show talking about quarterbacks. But to me, the takeaway when you look at this list is, like, we're in this great age right now of quarterbacks. This is a good time league-wide in terms of quarterback play overall like you know you complained about the jared goff ranking 26 in this list right now but cam newton 27 like darnold 28 you can go all the way down this list and find guys that there are reasons to be optimistic about them starting at starting for their teams and being viable at the position you don't need to go back very far to find that not being the case at all and the bottom 10 guys on any quarterback ranking are like complete dumpster fires that needed to be replaced asap like there's maybe one or two of those guys in the nfl right now and the players for them to be replaced by are around you know it's not like it's not like there's 30 quarterbacks in the nfl that can do this job and we're out we're too short two teams have just got to make do there's more than 30 quarterbacks that can start and be okay. There's more than 32 quarterbacks that can start and be okay in the NFL. They just aren't necessarily like all spread throughout the NFL. Like there might be a team or two that doesn't have any of them right now. All right. So we could spend the whole show on the quarterbacks, but you don't want to. That's fine. I agree. I mean, the difference between, you know, Tannehill, who's played great the last couple of years, but I mean, he's at 12. I mean, the difference between him and Jared Goff at 26, I don't think is massive. You know, there's not a huge difference. In a lot yeah. of the mid, the middle tier of quarterbacks is wider than ever. I think that's the I think that's the bottom line. And then the bottom of the list, as you said, it's a whole bunch of like, yeah, we don't know yet. It's younger guys who we just don't know yet. But so. I think like quarterbacks, the the standard of quarterbacks right now is in a good place in the NFL. Like this is an area of strength in when you don't have to go back too like far for that not to be the case. It's still it's still all relative though. Relative to what? Because if you there's still an advantage having a top 10 guy there's still a huge advantage yeah but even like though it's easier to find uh, a top right but when you're looking guy. throughout the nfl at like relative strengths and weaknesses of you know various positions there are not very many good guards in today's nfl like interior offensive line is a very thin 
area of the NFL right now. Quarterbacks has reached a point where it isn't. It's actually pretty deep. And if you don't have, and this is why a team like Washington can go this route of saying, we have a good team, we'll deal with quarterback in the future. Right now it's Fitzpatrick. We'll figure out what it looks like next year or the year beyond because we're not concerned anymore about our ability to find a viable starting quarterback. All right, let's go to the receivers. You want to go receiver rankings? Sure. People had issues with your running back rankings. Did you just go 25 for all of them? That's what you wanted to do, yeah. 32 for all of them? I didn't know we were doing top 32. Right. Uh, Devontae Adams, De- DeAndre Hopkins, Tyreek Hill, Allen Robinson, and Julio Jones. What are your thoughts? Overall thoughts, receiver is another ridiculous area of strength, which makes sense, right? The college game has been in this spread world for years at this stage. It's producing quarterbacks that more naturally translate to the NFL, given the way the, the two games have uh, sort of walked towards each other. Receiver, the same thing. Like, There's just so many good receivers coming into the NFL every single year, and they're able to hit the ground running like they never have before. Um, you know, Justin Jefferson dominates right out of the gate. It's just a whole sequence of these guys. So you look down the wide receiver rankings, and there are real impact players like all the way down that list. Yeah, this is where I always ask, is this about the nature of the position versus we'll talk about linebacker, we'll talk about guard. Is it, is it the way we evaluate them? Because we do focus so much on negatives, negatives, say, for the linebackers or for the guards, whereas wide receiver, it's a pass-first league. Two or three guys are contributing pretty heavily. So when you do get to that bottom of the list, you're talking about Cole Beasley, Antonio Brown, Will Fuller. They don't have to be – like a linebacker our, or a guard, our expectations when we're grading them is to be good at everything, right? To be a highly graded guard, you have to pass block well, run block well, avoid penalties, right? To be a highly graded receiver, you can be a Cole Beasley who, if we asked him to do other stuff, wouldn't be good. But we ask, but he's only asked to do this one thing, go out into the, into the slot, run short and intermediate routes, and get open. And that's what he's good at. So it plays to their strength. Whereas if we were looking at guards and we could just say, you're good at run blocking, just run block. Would that change our perception of where the strengths and weaknesses are are across the NFL. Maybe. I mean, I think NFL offenses have gotten better at asking receiver, putting receivers in a good position to do what they do well and not putting receivers in a bad position to do things that they don't do particularly well. So if you do have players that are very limited by what they can do but are very good at the thing that they do well, there's a role for those guys in today's NFL that didn't necessarily exist 10, 15, 20 years ago where a receiver was a receiver and you needed that guy to do pretty much everything in the offense because you didn't have many of them, right? There were Most teams were running with only two receivers on the field at any given moment. There wasn't, you know, this, this world of a, like a dedicated slot receiver. Though slot receivers existed decades ago, but they only really became a featured, constant part of an offense. You know, Wes Welker was one of the big pioneers of that. Wes Welker went undrafted for a reason because that role didn't really exist in an NFL offense. And it took creativity and imagination and projection to craft a role where, oh, like this dude that can run option routes every single play and pick up a guaranteed seven yards every time we need it, that's actually a really useful thing to have in an offense. Like before Wes Welker, that didn't really exist. So if you had a guy who was limited to that kind of skill set, you had a problem because it's like, well, now we – we don't have this. This The offense doesn't have a position that only does this. At some point, I need this guy to run 
like a 20-yard dig route across the middle of the field, and he's not very good at that. So he's just a bad number two receiver. He's a bad flanker or a split end or whatever in this system. Um, Wes Welker was one of the pioneers to sort of change the way the NFL deals with receivers. And anybody on this list that isn't as guaranteed clear number one is reaping the benefits of that. Guys like Cooper Cup, very different type of receiver to Wes Welker, but a guy who is reaping the benefits of what Welker helped push. And Debo Samuel, all these guys that don't have a conventional you know, skill set are thriving because of what went before them in that way. Yeah, so even what I'm saying, I mean, this it is still loaded. I mean, at, at receiver. DK Metcalf at 15. I mean, he's a good example, too. Just a different body type than yeah. Wes Welker. But the Seahawks have done a great job saying, here's what you do well. You run some slants. You run the deep over route. You run go balls. Um, that's what you're going to do. And you're going to also you're better, paired with Russell Wilson. They're to also do it. better at developing them. Like Michael Thomas came into the NFL and was a very limited receiver in terms of what he could do from like right right away. In his rookie year, he ran like two routes. The Saints said, all right, all you're going to do is run goes and slants, and we'll figure out the rest. Like, well, it, this is development on the job. You run slants and goes, and we will figure out how to bring you along in this offense. But right now, you can make plays doing just that. We don't need you to do everything else. So like, teams have gotten better at taking a, a talented impact playmaker who isn't able to do everything right away, Metcalf, Michael Thomas, and saying, okay, you have a limited role right now. It's going to get bigger. We will expand it as you go and as you learn, as you get better at doing all these other things. But right now, you can be on the field making plays, doing just this. That's different from other positions where if you, you, it's harder to do that, right? If you're a guard who can't take vertical sets, you can't just go, well, we'll, we'll learn that later. Go out and do your best, son. Like don't don't ever run a like don't ever set vertical in the pass game because right. you, you will will deal with that down the line. You can't do that, and you can't do it with corners. Like if you have a, uh, all you need to do is worry about zone, right? We'll we'll show you with the man techniques later on. Like it doesn't work. So most of these other positions, it's very hard to be on the field very uh, early making plays with a limited skill set. Receiver is a fortunate position where you can actually be a positive without, you know, with having a lot missing from your game. Who do you think is the very best receiver in the NFL? I mean, last year it was Devontae Adams. Um, he, he's always been one of the best route runners in the NFL. Last year, I think, was when he put it all together and became everything. Like, he got better at contested catches, got better. His hands have gotten better through the years. Last year, I think, was the, the year where Devontae Adams became just a complete receiver across the board and was the best there. Now... What does that look like going forward? Who do you want? Who do you want on your team going forward? I mean, I think, look. If, I know my answer. If you can tell me that Julio Jones is healthy, Julio Jones is still the best receiver in the NFL. So even at his age? Yes. Over 10 years into the NFL, you're taking Julio? If you tell me that injuries are not a factor for him for the next couple of years, Julio Jones is still the best receiver in football. So first off, I'm going to take Tyreek Hill on my team because I think of what – you've made the point too. No matter what role – this he's the – He's the opposite of what you've just described for 10 minutes about receiver roles, right? If you made Tyreek Hill just a slot receiver, he's going to be incredible. If you just made him an X or a Z or whatever, he'll be incredible. Downfield ability and all that stuff. So I like Tyreek. But Julio Jones, he's at number five on our rankings right now. Historically, he'd be one over the last 10 years, right? Yeah. Nonstop. The only question is health and age. And I'm writing up the receiver tight end rankings, which will come out, I think, next week. 
So I'm writing them from like a unit standpoint. So my big question from a unit standpoint is how much can Julio Jones move the needle? For a lot of the teams, you wrote the article on where he could land. If it's New England, who's the favorite? If it's Tennessee, who I keep saying, man, you got you need somebody to pair with number six on this list, AJ Brown. If it's the Colts, you know, we need you need help for Carson Wentz. How much does Julio Jones move the needle for one of those groups of pass catchers who might rank in the twenties? If they add a Julio Jones to that mix, are they top ten? Are they top five? That yeah, a huge a amount. huge change. Yeah, massively because it doesn't just add Julio Jones to the group; it also does what you've talked about, which is bump everybody else down the depth chart yeah. one, where they get better. Right, a number two receiver who used to be a number one is suddenly dealing with much more favorable matchups and will look better. This is the Corey Davis issue, right? Future Hall of Famer didn't necessarily look great when he was the number one in theory the number one passing option and drawing the toughest assignments every week when suddenly he's your number two opposite A.J. Brown Corey Davis looks an awful lot better that happens anywhere Julio Jones lands everybody else gets bumped down one and draws the benefits of that it's it's like a receiver version of what happened with the Rams when they brought in Jalen Ramsey at cornerback everybody else goes down the depth chart one gets the easier assignments and looks way better because of it all right, where else do you want to go here, rankings-wise? Do some offensive line? Well, let's so let's cover tight ends quickly um, because that's a position where I think there's not a ton of depth, but oh. the guys in it, or the guys at the top, are phenomenal. By the way, if I, I like tiers for quarterbacks, right? Because it just it, it just makes a ton of sense, right? Their their performance is driven so much by everything else around them. But if we were doing tiers for receiver, I'm probably at number twenty or twenty-one before I say, okay, here's the cutoff of like true number one receivers. So that's a huge difference from quarterback where yeah. I'm saying tier one is one or two guys. With receiver, there's probably 20 guys where if you said this is the number one target, I'm comfortable with that. Because Kenny Galladay is 19th on the list. You know, you feel pretty good about those guys all the way down. Now tight end is definitely closer to quarterback when it comes to – It's like four guys. Yeah, like the haves and the have-nots. We put Kyle Pitts at number four because all draft season we were saying, look – it's Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Darren Waller at this point. Yeah, we've ranked Pitts rookies. might jump right in as the fourth best. We've ranked rookies in these rankings. And look, there are people out there. It's a weird dynamic where we spend months in, leading up to the draft, breaking down all these players, talking about how good they are, analyzing everything, and telling people what they are and arguing about what they are. And then the second they get drafted – there's a giant chunk of people who pivot from that to we don't know anything about these guys. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. They haven't taken a snap in the NFL. Like, I could be anything. Look, people will bust and people will be unexpectedly good that were, you know, low-round picks. The fact that that happens does not dismiss everything we know about these players. It isn't just a random lottery. If it was, the draft wouldn't be a thing. We do have a starting base of knowledge of these guys which doesn't mean to say that that will be 100%. It just means that you can't dismiss it as like, we don't know anything about any of these rookies. Therefore, Kyle Pitts is the same as the 15th tight end that was taken in the draft. We know that isn't the case. That doesn't mean that Kyle Pitts will definitely be a superstar, but it means we can be pretty confident that he's a better player than the guy he's taken behind him. Yeah, it, I, I've been saying too, I think the NFL does have a tight end issue because it's so top heavy because there are those guys at the top who defenses have to account for kelsey kittle waller and now pitts defenses have to account for them number five is dallas goddard who's a really good tight end he's nice you know he's run blocks pretty well and he's got this dual threat ability 
But Dallas Goddard, Mark Andrews, and other guys on this list, even Gronk at this point in his career, they're not keeping defenses up at night. So the rest of them, it's just they're good complementary pieces in a, in a given offense. Yeah, and that's, that's the NFL right now. Tight end has probably suffered. I mean, obviously the fullback has been virtually eliminated, but tight end has suffered amongst the most in terms of this pivot of the college game towards that spread kind of baseline average. Like quarterbacks have improved in terms of uh, how often those guys pop up and become NFL players. Wide receivers are everywhere. The flip side of that is that tight ends have fallen off the face of the earth. Most college teams don't have a tight end that plays an NFL recognizable game. Guys that can actually be um, blockers in line and receiver receiving threats are few and far between. And that's one of the positions that's just completely evaporated. So you get these guys... George Kittle, phenomenal. Travis Kelsey, phenomenal. Darren Waller, phenomenal. Kyle Pitts, we think, will be phenomenal. And then there's a bunch of guys behind that who, like, you know, maybe could be extremely good in any given season. And then, like, once you're past, what, 15? It's like, who is this guy? Why? Like, this is, like, this is a problem position now. Well, it's also, it's an issue in the NFL, too, because in this top 32, like, the Bucks have three of the top 32. It's also top-heavy. It's it's top-heavy, but there's also certain teams that have multiple guys on the list. There are other teams who don't have a top 32 tight end. And not and the guys that are maybe aren't even top 64 tight ends. They're, they're, so there are, there are teams who just have issues at tight end, which is why I'm saying the NFL has a tight end problem. All right, let's go to offensive linemen. Uh, offensive tackle. There's uh, It's not really top-heavy, but... I think there's definitely a drop-off here. There's some solid players, though, across this list. Yeah. When it comes to offensive tackle. David Bakhtiari comes in at number one. Offensive tackle, I think, has some depth. It's got some talent. It's got a lot of good players. If I think generally offensive lines in the NFL are not great right now. Um, I think offensive line is an area where the NFL would really like to have some kind of developmental pathway, right? A, a minor league. Minor league, Steve. Um, I would appreciate that. The AAF, the XFL, one of those I think should – it needs to stick because the NFL needs that system. You go back far enough, it's NFL Europe. There's a lot of players talk about how important that was for their career. Kurt Warner, friend of the show, yeah. was a big NFL Europe guy. Um, but a, a ton of these – like offensive line needs that kind of playing time. They need reps. They need to be experiencing actual – elevated competition from what they had in college particularly when the systems change and right now there isn't that pathway for them in the nfl which is why you get guys like andrew thomas you have to do all the all the work you have to do all the development live like on the fly you have to rework the guy's pass set during the course of an nfl season and that isn't easy to do and it rarely produces good results at the time you have to like suffer through some pain to get through to the other side but of all the positions, I think tackle is the one where there is the most depth and high-quality play compared to guard and, and center. As we've said many times on the podcast, offensive line is the position where you can see guys improve after 1,000 snaps, 1,500 snaps, whatever it is. Donovan Smith might be the classic case. Like you're, You hate changing your opinion on a player, right? You don't like when you see a guy who isn't good early on and then saying, hey, he's gotten better. You just because and we all do this a little bit, right? This your initial impression of a player sometimes sticks. But Donovan Smith came in and was one of the worst tackles in the NFL. 
He's literally gotten better every single season. Six years in the NFL, over 1,000 snaps every year, he's gotten better. Now, he's just one example. But if there's a reason for hope for Cam Robinson or for uh, – you, you, you would look – for Cam Robinson, you would look to a Donovan Smith. You would look to an Eric Fisher, guys who started off not great and got better and better and better. Mark Lewinsky, the guard from the Colts, started out horrible as a Seahawk. He's gotten better and better and better. It's not everybody, but of all the positions – this is the closest position to the quote-unquote Madden rating that I always joke about. I say quarterbacks don't just get better every single year, but there are certain offensive linemen that do that. You see it more at this position, which makes you think, yes, that minor league would be would be great. Um, a guy like Tyron Smith coming in at 22, I think that's, that's TBD, healthy Tyron Smith. We've been yeah. saying that for four years, though. That's the right. problem. Uh, but the fact that he's even that low – but you're getting solid starters in Orlando Brown at 17 and Taylor Luan at 18 and Taylor Decker at 19, Jonah Williams at 24. DJ Humphreys had a career year last year, fantastic fit in that Arizona there, scheme. He's yeah. at 26. There isn't a player on this on the top 32, which makes sense given that there's 64 starting jobs at tackle as opposed to some of these other positions. But there's not a player on the top 32 that you would be upset being your starter. Like every single one of these players is, is a good, capable starting tackle, whether it's right or left. You know, Brian O'Neill for the Vikings, Mackay Becton for the Jets. These are good players. These are guys that are the strengths of their respective offensive lines. Like Mackay Becton. Alejandro Villanueva at 32. Warms my heart. Did you did you rig that? Yeah, there was feels. a lot of debate at 32. Yeah. And we made sure that uh, Ali got in there. But, like, you know, these are guys that are the best player on their, off on their respective offensive lines, and they make the bottom of this list. So tackle – I think has some really good depth in it, albeit, again, there's 64 of these guys, so the next 32 is not as great. But of all the offensive line positions, tackle, I think, is the strongest. All right, tell me about your guard rankings. Guard is a wasteland. Um, obviously, like, Quentin Nelson might be the best offensive lineman in the NFL. Zach Martin is right behind him in yeah. terms of quality. Then you got another few guys that are pretty good, but you don't need to go very far down this list before you reach players where you're like, is this guy even good? How far down the list? Like the middle of it? Like, Lakin Tomlinson is the 17th-ranked guard in the NFL right now, and Lakin Tomlinson crapped out of Detroit, and... See, he's a guy... But I'm saying he's gotten better. He has, but even now, it's like, how good is Lakin Tomlinson versus the next guy we could pull off the street, throw into the Shanahan offense, and be fine with? Gabe Jackson's gotten worse every year, and he comes in at 16 in this, yeah, this list. right. I mean, yeah, Graham Glasgow, Austin Corbett, Connor Williams, Isaac Sayamalu, like, the middle group of guards is not a great place to be makes it a 22 right he started off real slow in his yeah he looked like a great pass blocker coming out of oregon state and started out slow uh but yeah again it's the nature of the position i mentioned like mark lewinsky he comes in at 25 for the Colts. (laughs) kevin dodson is making it a 29 based off like 358 snaps where he was pretty good you threw elijah vera tucker in there yeah because i mean so i i was and i think you hate the move right to go trade for elijah vera tucker right i don't hate it as much and i think after doing guard rankings well no i i didn't hate it as much to begin with but after you do guard rankings i think you get a much more like a much greater appreciation for it which is like particularly the jets the jets have thrown a lot at that offensive line already and a lot of what they did hasn't really worked right now you're facing the situation where you draft a new quarterback you still have an offensive line that's very much a work in progress and you think you have a clear pathway through to a guy who's going to be a very good guard in the NFL. And when you look at a list like this, there just aren't – those guys don't exist. There aren't many of them. There's 15 guys that are good, and they're playing 64 different positions. So let's go trade for a guy we 
we're pretty sure ranks in that top 15 or in that top 32 or whatever it is. Like, Elijah Vera Tucker, the, the, the problem is, you know, the data essentially says that having the confidence that he is that guy is not necessarily a smart thing. But I get it. When you look at the league and, like, there's 15 good guards and 64 positions and we have a quarterback we need to protect. Guard scarcity. Let's go get him. Guard scarcity. Got to work the market. Much like you got to work the market over at Symbol, PFF's new partner. That's S-I-M-B-U-L-L. Symbol, the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol is blended sports and the stock market to offer you a new way to invest and profit off your favorite teams. The MLB is in full swing, as you know, Sam, for the rest of the summer, allowing you to earn daily cash payouts in the NFL free agency is still going on. So when there's another big signing... It's going to change your uh, your team's stock market. It's going to ch- it's change their uh, their stock, essentially. So you can play that at Symbol. Use the promo code PFF. Deposit $10 at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free PFF annual subscription. That's promo code PFF with a $10 deposit at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free annual subscription. You going to bet on some MLB teams? Oh, yeah. Our Reds? Our Reds, yeah. Our Reds. Would you mm. bet on the UMass Lowell Riverhawks about 20 years ago when we were going to the Division II College World Series? <laughs> it's a 20-year anniversary, Sam. Mm. Mm. You know, like the rest, of, the rest of the world mocks the U.S. a little bit for World Series and World Champions. I didn't know that we were mocked. Yeah, yeah, of, uh, of sports that, you know, only really you play. Now, you know, baseball, some more people than, than America play baseball. Football is basically you. And particularly, you know, the World Champions. Wait, did you, did you play football? Yeah, but we're not invited to the Super Bowl. We're not eligible, you know? There's no pathway from there's the IAFL a, into the Super Bowl. There's a reason for that, Sam. Yeah, what's that? The best in the world are here. Huh. Huh. So it's the championship of the world because mm. the best in the world but are anyway, here. But it's, anyway, it's, it's, so it's keep questionable walking, enough smart. when it's like elite-level competition, you know, the MLB, the NFL, whatever. It gets a little bit farcical when it's, you know, the Division Two World Series. Yeah, Division Two College World Series. Yeah. I mean, that sounds a little bit silly. Two-time participant in the Division Two College World Series. Two-time participant. That's where they send the final eight. I was watching the, uh, the Europa League coverage last night, right, and they had three guys in the studio, and they were introducing them all. It's like, uh, you know, Europa League winner, multiple trophy winner, coach Rafa Benitez, uh, Champions League winner Jamie Carragher, former player Micah Richards. Former player? Yeah. <laughs> just played. Yeah. just That's right up there with Sam Tevy. Ex-guy. Played a lot of football. Right. Played a lot of football. Two this times. great. He does this. Uses his hands well. Sam Tevy played football. Steve Palazzolo, two-time participant of the Division II wait, World wait. Series. I, I started game one of the Division II College World Series. Okay. Two, two-time participant, one-time starter started of one. the Division II yeah. World Series. Look, we don't, we don't get, UMass Lowell Riverhawks don't get to the World Series if it wasn't for me. Oh, All right. Okay. So, we don't need to. Do, do people? No, no. People don't want to hear about it. God. Anyway, no. you're gonna dr- tell everybody about what we're uh, what we're doing. Oh, the, the, the yeah, the charity fund. drive. Um, so we we settled on one. The first one obviously was the Fro Show. Steve rocks up at the giant picked out Afro, and we raised. How much did you raise? What was the final tally? Well, we um, the official tally was eleven hundred sixty dollars. Yes. And then we got anonymous people matching that i had multiple anonymous people match it wow yeah impressive so it ended up over like 4500 wow 
So we set up a new one, GoFundMe this time. We've set up a more expansive goal. So I'm up, the initial goal is 1500 I think, mm-hmm. raising money for the tri-state area. That's this tri-state area as opposed to the seven other tri-state areas that exist in it's the country. It's confusing. Yeah. Um, so what the hell is that? Indiana, Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio, right? There you I, go. I don't know. I, I don't know if I've learned our. I think that's right. Area. <laughs> Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, tri-state. Somebody's going to benefit from. Make this a stuff. wish foundation. Anyways, for the kids, as they say, hashtag for the kids. That's so great. the thing we're doing, raising fifteen hundred dollars. When we reach that, I will do one PFF podcast, dress like minor league Steve, and that's dressed using minor league Steve's former baseball gear. So it will all be dramatically outsized and absurd. I don't know what what how, how many X's are involved in a minor league baseball Steve shirt. Um, you fit them by like it's like a 50, 52, whatever that okay whatever the size is like a chest size. It'd be pretty big, yeah. So I think uh, I got to see what I have because I've got some legit uh, Giants and Mariners big league pants. Got yeah. big league pants, of course. Um, I've got a great Mariners big league. So those will be like ten inches jacket. too long. I'd probably throw the give me the jacket, either the Mariners or the Giants jacket. I'll see what I have. I'm very intrigued by the like dustbin sized baseball see, mitt we're gonna have. The thing is, I did not use a massive glove. Yeah, but it my, fit your hand. It looked right? small. It was small on my hand. Okay, I but, didn't use a massive glove. <laughs> but your hand is like nine foot across, so on my hand it will look farcical. What the heck? I forget how glove sizes work, but mine was a little bit small. Probably compared I will, to what you would expect. I, I did think, have a massive outfielder's glove, though. We'll see. We'll, we'll, some people have asked for guarantees on this. I'm not sure I'm necessarily ready to commit to a guarantee yet. But I will not be shaving this down until we raise the money. And then I will oh, think wow. about yeah. potentially rocking, rocking the hair. Steve Palazzolo mustache for the thing. I will definitely buy one of those ridiculous black curly wigs that you get in the party store to have on under the yeah, baseball cap. Um, but anyway, so it's I on my. I think we need like a, a highlight reel too of all my uh, oh, home runs given up or something. We need something else. It's uh, it's on my it's my pinned tweet. So if you go to pff underscore sam on Twitter, it's my pinned tweet. Donate. We've got a few people uh, firing in with the donations right now. Goes to a very good cause. And then when we reach the uh, the magic number, I have to sit here looking absolutely ridiculous in former Steve Palazzolo baseball gear. That'll be fun. Looking forward to it. All right, let's go to the defensive side. Do we have, do we have defensive rankings up? Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's Edge rankings, stuff. are they up? Yeah, there we go. You're going to breeze right past center like it doesn't even exist. Who cares about center? Nobody tuned in to get to look at who's the best center in the NFL. Uh, we have Rodney Hudson right Rodney there on Hudson the basis and, that he never uh, gives up pressure. Corey, ever. And Corey, Lindsley. Corey Lindsley, Frank Ragnow, now the best paid center in the NFL. Um, guy we loved coming out of college. We did. Real Another guy story gotten better. Yeah. By year three um, JC Treader, Jason Kelsey, Brandon Linder, and then things start to fall off pretty quickly. Yeah. It's similar to guard. Yeah. In that respect. Um, so interior offensive line, there's a little bit more scarcity across the NFL. There's a lot more solid tackle play across the NFL if you're looking at offensive linemen. I, I think the edge defender rankings are an interesting one because there's so many just studs at the top. Khalil Mack. Did Pittsburgh fans get upset about this? TJ Watt coming in second. They're just upset. They're very upset fans. Khalil Mack, TJ Watt, Joey Bosa, Miles Garrett, Nick Bosa, five. This is the first time I think we've ever split up a Bosa on on a a list. They're always, you know, PFF 50. They're always right next to each other. Nick Bosa's getting hosed just because he got hurt. But uh, that top five, 
I don't want to say they're completely interchangeable. You no, know, Joey Bose is only 25 years old. What? Yeah. He is? And the big negative from him coming out was maybe he's too maxed out. He's maybe he's just out. too good already. Yeah. Yeah, and he's still only 25, having been, like, dominant from day one. Yeah, I, I think any of that top five could be number one in any given year. Yeah. And the one name that's missing here is Vaughn Miller, right? So for yes. years, it was Vaughn Miller and Khalil Mack. They were one and two. They were the guy. They were like the Bosa brothers. They could not be split up. And Vaughn went from, was it eight straight years of 90-plus grades? He dropped off in 2019, didn't take a snap in 2020. So he's more of just a big question mark here. And then the other name I would say jumps into that interchangeable list is Chase Young at eight. And I could see people being upset about him being at eight. He should probably, if you're talking about what they're going to be going forward, yeah. I'd throw Chase Young into that Bosa, Garrett, yeah. Mac. I think he could definitely be higher. Um, I, you, probably just a little bit of hesitancy given that, you know, when he came back from injury after that, after the injury in his rookie year, he wasn't quite the same guy. He didn't quite do it. So I think we all expect Chase Young to be that guy eventually, but let's wait because the guys ahead of him are pretty freaking good and having proven a lot. The one guy I think that could, Cameron Jordan right now is number six. Um, he, a lot like Von Miller, last year was pretty concerning in terms of, like still really good, but that was the first time where you look at him and say, ooh, that's not the same guy again. Like that's, right. that's a notable drop off where he has been over his career. Like Cameron Jordan over the past sort of five years before that, is right up there with Von Miller and Khalil Mack as like the best edge rusher in the NFL. Last year was not that guy. So was that a blip? Was that just a bad year? Or is this the beginning of the end for Cameron Jordan and we're now going to see a good, not great impact edge player? Now, I will say, I think there's as big of a drop-off here as there are at guard and center. Really? Because, yeah, look at it. Because So you got Demarcus Lawrence at 7, Chase Young at 8. Where do you think the drop-off comes so you get when you get to 11 and 12 it's Vaughn Miller and J.J. Watt and they're both guys just superstars Hall of Fame caliber players at the tail end of their careers right once you get into Zadarius Smith at 13 solid good player Brandon Graham good player Jerry Hughes at 15 is just perfect right I mean he's been probably edged 10 to 15 for the last eight years just consistent and really good but as we get lower on this list you get into Montez Sweat at 17, who's a better run defender than he is pass rusher. He's not an elite pass rusher. Carl Lawson. So all, this is where all of these guys have their own deficiencies. And if we're talking about the other positions where those things get exposed more, edges, you, you can hide guys at edge defender a little bit more as well. So Montez Sweat's not an elite pass rusher. And... Carl Lawson's not a great run defender. Brian Burns is on the up and up. Great. Jadavian Clowney's up there. But then we start to get into Yannick Ngakwe, Marcus Davenport, Bud Dupree, Leonard Floyd. We're just getting into good, solid starter territory, which I guess makes it similar to tackle. Yeah, tackle as opposed to guard, where you're getting into... Okay. Like you get very as I quickly, talk through it, it's more like the tackle rankings. Yeah, you get very quickly into guards that you don't want starting for your team. The, these are still... They're, the drop-off is is similar in terms of, like, the gulf between these guys and Khalil Mack is huge, or Miles Garrett, whoever you want to put it as those top elite edge rushers. Like, the gap between – so, Bradley Chubb is number 22. Trey Flowers is number 23. The gap between a Trey Flowers and a Bradley Chubb and a Khalil Mack is massive, but part of that is because Khalil Mack is so good, you're still ending up with very good players. Like, Bradley Chubb, Trey Flowers are still impact defensive linemen that can do a really good job for you. 
and be massive pluses for your defense. What it, where it does become interesting though is because is you don't focus on their flaws as much. Like that, I think is is an interesting difference between defensive lineman and offensive lineman because offensive lineman is about what are you doing badly like how how bad is your weak point because that's what's going to get exploited the defensive line isn't quite the same so guys that are you know pass rushing specialists or guys that are you know run defense specialists you can much more easily tailor your tailor their role to take advantage of that and not expose them the same way you they will be exposed if they're a guard with that kind of deficiency all right let's go to interior defensive line aaron donald of course number one the quest for that number two spot this is great because i think there was a legitimate battle between chris jones and fletcher cox for a few years fletcher cox is getting a little bit older chris jones continues to play at a high level jones is at number two Cameron Hayward of the Steelers is number three. Are Steelers fans going to be upset about that? Probably. Uh, Grady Chariot, number four. DeForest Buckner, number five. Uh, this is – I like this group. This is a, a good group of interior defensive linemen across the NFL. Yeah, I think defensive interior is another strong group with a lot of depth. Chris Jones, I think, is probably now fairly clearly that number two guy after Aaron Donald, who's just in a whole world by himself. Um, I would say there's a drop-off into specialists, though. The drop-off happens around 15 or so where you get into a lot of just really good run defenders, guys who are just okay rushing the passer. They're definitely more specialists at some point on this list. Yeah, which is similar to the edge rusher group, right, which is you get guys that are not complete superstars but are very good in a specific role. And defensive line, you can create that role. You can tailor a role on the defensive line that, that it matches a guy's specialty in a way that's much different to the offensive line where if you have a guy that's a specialist run blocker who can't pass block you can't take that guy out of the game for pass reps like he has to get by somehow on those plays in a way that defensive linemen don't like you can have you can have almost legitimate pass rushing specialists or rundown specialists and you can very closely tailor their playing time to that specialty um and that's i think that's just the difference between defense and offense my boy Folo Fotokasi. Yeah. Shows up at 27 for the Jets. The Talk Jets about. keep finding those guys. Just like they really run do. specialist guys that almost complete throwback players that don't even belong in the NFL in 2020. But again, you can tailor a role where that elite, guy. Elite run defenders have a role. Elite run They defenders. have a role, but like they're not what everybody's looking for, which is why the Jets are able to turn them up if you yeah. actually value them. Yeah, you want to get them on the cheap, but they do have a role on your team. All right, let's get to your linebacker rankings. My How's the feedback going? Rankings. I mean, it's not good. There's a lot of people upset. Um, linebacker is another one. I mean, we talked about this before. It's not a the, – the depth of linebacker isn't great. Uh, there aren't very many of them. Now, part of that is, a, is just that linebacker is the position where guys are getting targeted, lit up, wrecked by modern offenses. Like – Kyle Shanahan is out there. Oh, you drafted a special linebacker in the top 10, a guy you think is going to transform your defense. I'm going to paint a giant bullseye on him in week one and make you bench him essentially for the next eight weeks because he can't play at this level right now. That's what offenses are generally doing to the linebacker position and specifically doing it to guys that haven't really learned how to play at this level yet, uh, which is becoming harder and harder to do. You, you don't have to go back that far where linebacker was like the most obvious rookie of the year candidate on defense, right? Guys that come in day one, see ball, get ball, Greg Williams style defense, D'Amico Ryan's racking up 100 tackles right out of the gate. That's how you transition to the NFL. Now, 
It's like <laughs> linebackers, you know, guys like Patrick Queen, mercilessly attacked. That guy had like a grade in the 20s last year. Now, he made a lot of plays because he was always around the ball, incredible athleticism, um, but was getting wrecked by – wrecked in coverage, wrecked by offensive linemen in the blocking – in the, the run game. And with blocking schemes, linebacker has become a nightmare position to transition into the NFL, and then you have to develop and get good at it. All right, what about the high-profile first-rounders? Because if there are two positions through the years where I think PFF has, has helped change perception a little bit, or at least tried to <laughs> – it's offensive line and then linebacker. They're the two positions where previous evaluation was simply how, how much did you start on the offensive line and then linebacker, how many tackles did you have? Did you have over 100? Which is basically, did you play 16 games? Same thing. Did you start? You're going to get over 100 tackles. So those are the two positions where we said, okay, first off, we could start to actually evaluate offensive linemen and then from a linebacker pr perspective, like who cares about how many tackles you have? Well, there are different parts to the game. Linebacker is also the position, I think, where we have learned the most um, by doing college and, you know, understanding how this uh, transition to the NFL works. Like, I think when we started doing college, we started off with this idea of, look, the NFL chases these Ernie Sims types of linebackers, right? Guys that run a 4-3, fly around the field, but are just – they're not good. They're flying to the wrong place. They're not making the right plays. They're overrunning things, and ultimately they're bad linebackers. Um, so that's what teams are looking for. They're chasing these super athletes at the position on the basis that they think, you know, you'll be able to teach them linebacker. Like, just get the athlete, plug them into a defense, and I'll teach them where the ball is and who to hit. Uh, I think we started with this idea of, well, we're going to find the guys that grade well. We're going to find the guys that are just good linebackers, good football players, and ultimately, it won't really matter if they don't run a 4-3 and they're not the most special athletes in the world. And I think very quickly, we realize that, you know what, there's something to at least an athleticism threshold. And athleticism alone is not going to get you there, but neither is just being a good instinctive football player. You're going to need a baseline of athleticism to be a good linebacker at the NFL level. So, you know, we push these guys very hard early in the PFF college and draft era, the Paul Dawson's of the world, Scooby Wright's of the world, these guys that were very productive college linebackers, but just catastrophic NFL-level athletes. Now, Paul Dawson might have also had some off-field issues as well that didn't help in terms of that uh, transition, but I think that is a, a thing that we've learned is that, all right, you, need, you can eliminate a group of players that just don't have the, athletic, the athletic requirements to match their college production at the NFL level. Now you need to figure out how do we differentiate those guys based off how we know they've played at the college level. How, for all the, the athleticism they have, how good are they at turning that into productive linebacker play? Here's the other thing I would say too, the, the places where we butt heads most with perception is often at linebacker. And it's because linebacker I think is one of those positions where when you're just watching the game and you're no I don't want to say casual fan because even me it's a highlight reel position it is okay perfect right so you can watch a game and know if a corner's getting torched you can know right it's one-on-one -on -one and it's like wow I just saw this dude get give up like eight or ten catches right I mean that that just happened if a linebacker is getting beaten it's one of those plays where it's like, oh, look, there's a 15-yard pass over the middle. It's wide open. That's just the thing. Nothing in your brain says, 
let me go back check the coverage scheme is the linebacker getting proper depth and zone is he passing it off and working downhill all you're seeing is tackles and, and especially from a pass rushing standpoint the thing that linebackers do eight or ten times a game if they get one sack or one you know or just you know blow up one uh, running back on a blitz it's like oh this guy's this guy's all over the place making plays and so this brings me to Devin White it brings me to Tremaine Edmonds Patrick Queen Roquan Smith these are the guys that are really good athletes that are for their first round picks um, they have a lot of good play on tape as well Queen not so much yet at the NFL they have a lot of good things that they've done but if I'm just looking at the highest percentage of negatives in the NFL at linebackers Queen was number one just in, in the run game last year Queen was number one Roquan Smith was number two. Anthony Walker from the Colts, who the Browns just signed, he's another guy that kind of people think, oh, he makes some tackles, good solid player, like he's third highest percentage of negatives. Uh, and Devin White was tied for seventh in percentage of negatives. So this goes back to kind of like the Quan Alexander years with the Bucks. Quan would always make some splash plays, and Devin White does that. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them. And he has a high percentage of positives, but he had the number seven highest percentage of negatives. And a lot of Devin White's good stuff comes as a blitzer. Which is, again, it's, it's like the third most important thing that you do as a linebacker. And then you have the Super Bowl and the playoff run, and it's like, okay, Devin White had the game-ending interception, right? Again, I always come back to think about what that does in your brain. You see an interception next to his name. You see it, it ended the game. I mean, it was a tipped pass that landed in his hands. Right. right? It wasn't even a particularly – in a particularly good play by him in the way like even if it was it doesn't mean anything right like Malcolm Smith was a Super Bowl MVP based essentially off the one pick that he had in the Super Bowl now that was a really good pick that was a very good play by Malcolm Smith but that didn't turn Malcolm Smith into a dominant NFL linebacker that was just a highlight real moment for the guy and it got him a Super Bowl MVP award that was a better play than Devin White's interception which equally doesn't transform anything about his game Right. So, I, so that's my whole thing with, with linebackers. I think, you know, if we ever get pushback, it's, it's guys like Tremaine Edmonds with the Bills. It's guys like Devin White with the Bucks. And I, look, I'm of the belief that Devin White, because of those – I believe linebacker is one of those places where if you do make enough splash plays, it's kind of like offensive line too where you'll continue to get better. You'll cut down on the negatives. But if you watch Devin White play in the run game or in coverage, he's out of position a lot. And it's not – and he sits right next to Levante David. So it's not necessarily a bias in our grading or anything because Levante David always grades well. Mm -hmm. And that's why he's number four on this list, right? Number four, even at his age. You know, he's declining a little bit, but Levante David has been incredibly productive throughout his career. They sit right next to each other. Levante David was the better linebacker than Devin White last year, despite whatever the tackle numbers. Absolutely. I mean, look, Levante David showed that he can still hang when he went one-on-one -on -one with Travis Kelsey in the Super Bowl and did a better job covering him than cornerbacks had throughout the playoffs, than safeties had. Can you imagine what would have happened if Devin White had drawn, drawn that responsibility instead? Travis Kelsey would have had 150 yards in the Super Bowl if Devin White was the dude tasked with covering him instead of Levante David. Levante David had a couple of pass breakups, had some really good coverage on Travis Kelsey. Devin White's not capable of that right now. Now, okay, different roles, whatever. I'm not saying that that determines the difference between the two, but I think that's how far away from being one of the top five linebackers in the NFL that Devin White is that a lot of people want to put him. Linebacker is this really fascinating position where people, you, the, the positive, the good plays you make are obvious and people remember them. 
a lot of the it's very easy to hide the bad plays you make they're, they're almost uniquely anonymous in terms of NFL positions like the good you do is remembered and the bad is very easy to dismiss one of them or one reason is is what you talked about which is a lot of it is actually kind of difficult to identify it's just a pass that went over the middle you think of passes as the guys in coverage are the cornerbacks and the safeties and if there's a dude wide open on a 12-yard dig you're like, oh, the safety didn't react quick enough or the corner passed him off and shouldn't have or whatever. But a lot of the reason is because a linebacker is just in the wrong place or didn't get enough depth or whatever it is. The, like the linebacker is the domino that fell that caused that guy to be wide the hell open. And it, it's not immediately obvious that that's the case. Missed tackles are another big thing, right? Yeah. If you're a linebacker, you come downhill, you miss a guy in the hole, it might not make an impact on the play. Like, the guy next the one guy over might make that tackle for another one yard gain didn't do anything even if you miss it and it becomes obvious it becomes a big play a lot of the time those missed tackles are kind of you know in a pile in the middle of the field and it's not immediately obvious that a linebacker just whiffed and he's face down on the floor it's it's not it's not very often like a wide open in space kind of deal where that dude's face first in the turf and it's like oh he's the reason like that guy is the reason this is a 50 yard run so, so many of linebackers' negative plays are, are kind of in the shadows. You don't often see them as obvious blown plays by linebackers, but those are all recorded in the PFF grading and tallied up. And, and, and the I, best players don't make a lot of those. And I want to add some perspective to that, too, because I, I went through and I looked at from a, in the NFL last year, when, the, when a linebacker had a negatively graded play, the offense in the run game averaged 7.3 yards per attempt. So... It's not a scientific way of doing it, but it's like when there was a negative, 7.3. When there was a positive, 1.9. So there's a huge difference. When, so there is something, too, you do want to avoid the negative. So it is one of those positions where you just don't see the negatives a lot, like you said. I want to tell my quick story. There's one of the reasons why I got introduced to PFF was looking at some grades post-game. And I think it was, uh, it was Brandon Spikes who was that old 3-4 thumping linebacker. Mm -hmm. He played next to Gerard Mayo. I want to say Mayo had 10, 11, 12, 14 tackles in the game. Brandon Spikes had three tackles, and he had a higher grade in the game. Probably like a plus two or a plus three back in the old system. But it was one of the first things where I'm looking at this, I'm reading this game recap, and I'm like, what? That doesn't even make sense. Brandon Spikes had no tackles, and Mayo had all the tackles. And I'm like, man, PFF is doing something different. They are looking at the game differently and what you found is spikes was the guy he was the catalyst he performed his role better than gerard mayo not only in that game but for a lot of that season because spike's job was to blow up fullbacks and take on guards and just make it so that gerard mayo could pick up those tackles that was one of the first things that attracted me to pff was the fact that wait my perception might be wrong they're seeing the actual football side of things. So that was that was back it was, 10 years ago. Yeah, it, it was an easier sell when the league still ran fullbacks and there was a, the, the strong side linebacker, the Sam linebacker's primary responsibility was essentially to meet a fullback in the hole and impact the, the run play that way, right? Blow up the fullback in the hole, stop the play, essentially redirect the point of attack to another gap that wasn't that wasn't intended to be blocked for by the offense and somebody else would make the tackle the weak side linebacker would come in unblocked make the tackle and get all the plaudits and that was the guy that always got the the attention that was the guy that got the media hype the draw because he was making all the tackles he he looked like the impact player but it was very easy to say look watch bart scott here 
Bart Scott was a master at this. That guy would fly into the hole, destroy the fullback, and from that moment on, the play as called, the play as blocked for, is dead. Now you're working on the fly and you're trying to get something else done because Bart Scott has individually killed this play and somebody else is cleaning up after it. Bart was great. Right, and that, it was a very easy thing to argue. But then when offense has changed and the fullback dies off and now there isn't that specific role where that linebacker is attacking a fullback and blowing up the play, the roles have become a little bit more interchangeable and intermingled and it's not as easy to sort of – it's not as simple as that, right? But – now everybody's doing a little bit of everything, and whereas Devin White, and I don't want to pick on Devin White specifically, but he's the one that will get the most pushback on this list. Devin White is making a lot of impact plays. He's making a lot of those tackles for loss. His average depth of tackle is pretty good, but he's making a lot of those negatives as well, and those are the plays that aren't being remembered or aren't being tallied up unless you're doing it the way PFF does, which is play-by-play, take down what happens for everybody. And the bottom line is there are simply most linebackers in the NFL are making fewer mistakes than Devin White does. And so going back to just to list the rankings, Bobby Wagner, number one. There was a time where it was Bobby Wagner and Luke Keekley. That was the debate at the top. Fred Warner, number two. Both guys are, we talk about the negatives. They're both among the lowest percentage of negatives, at least in the run game. Uh, last year Eric Kendricks number three Levante David number four and then Demario Davis number five friend of the show Darius Leonard number six I probably would have put him at five over Demario Davis Sam just you know keep him in the top five keep our friend Darius in the top five it's disrespect Steve it's disrespect is what it is anything but one is disrespect yeah yeah Darius wait till the PFF 50 comes out and <laughs> clearly he's not going to be on that again Deion Jones number seven another guy who's probably dabbled with that top three you know, back when he had those elite coverage grades and everything. We put Roquan at number eight. For all of that, he has developed into yeah. one of the better coverage linebackers in the NFL. It's just trying to bring some perspective, though. Uh, Matt Milano at 11, Jayon Brown at number 12. We almost could not separate those guys when you look at grades and role and all that stuff and the fact that they are coverage-first players who do struggle in the run game. This is a position, though, that gets pretty weak pretty quickly. Um, K.J. Wright is still, I think, a top 15 linebacker in the NFL. That guy's unemployed right now. Yeah. He doesn't have a team. Um, he's old, man. He's not, though. He's like 31. Zach I mean, Cunningham, I absolutely love. K.J. Wright is the same age as Levante David, who is a top-five linebacker, just re-signed with the Bucks. Like, K.J. Wright is a stud. Zach Cunningham, who I love, is kind of the opposite of what we've talked about. He's great in the run game, but even last year, he was all over the place. Early in the season, run game-wise, was not there, and he's never really developed into the coverage player I thought his, I thought he was capable of with his, you know, his movement skills and length and all that stuff. So, um I don't know if we've posted. Have we posted cornerbacks or safeties yet? Uh, safeties, no, because I don't that's think corners are up yet week. either. Uh, I don't see corners. That's... They might do it for our rankings episode. We still have. We'll have unit rankings coming out. So I'm working on our O line rankings, uh, receiver, tight end rankings. Um, by the way, I, I heard this is pretty organic. Mention right here: two for one draft <laughs> has done some really great interviews with college coaches. Yeah. Um, they get uh, PJ Fleck showing up that'll be great two for one drafts go check them out check out the forecast ian hartitz on the fantasy football podcast i see new stuff on our youtube channel almost every single day he's going full uh fantasy football season here so go check out the other podcast in the pff network that was an incredibly organic mention of the pff podcast network so i've been told to do yeah that's what we do that's very very, very well done yeah very that's professional what, that's what we do here yeah i mean you almost couldn't tell that it was a drop in as a as like an ad read not a 
No, I just, I weaved it into the... You did? Yeah. It was seamless. That's what we do. Completely seamless. I'm, I, that's why I'm the host here, Sam. It really is. That's why I am the host. I mean, people don't appreciate the kind of talent that that takes to be able to just yeah. just slot it in there. You know, did you see uh, Joey Molinaro doing uh, like his baseball product reads, you know, the stuff that like Al has to drop in during Sunday Night Football? Oh, no, I didn't see it. It was pretty funny. Is it good? Yeah. I, I thought you were going to try to... No, I can't. I, I I can't even remember what they were, but they were funny. It was like you know, here's a I'll hit to deep left field, and bye. Did you Very see good. the mo- the? You showed it to me, I think first the montage of Joe Buck having to sell all of the shows on Fox that yeah. didn't last a season, right? Since like 2003, those things are always hilarious. Like <laughs> just the, the crap that they have to read over the course of just the show is nuts. Tune into Galaxy as you know the Milky Way is overtaken by aliens. It's the new big show on Fox. Yep. It's like yeah, that lasted an episode, Joe. Yeah. Like, yeah. Sorry, you had to read it. Um. So the cornerback rankings aren't up, but just off the top of your head, where do you think the strength is relative to these other positions at corner in the NFL right now? Corner's an interesting one because it's another. I always I always like positions that have like a changing of the guard. So I think quarterback has had this changing of the guard over the last couple of years. Tackle, we saw the Joe Thomas to David Bakhtiari. With corner, it's for years it was Darrell Revis, it was Richard Sherman. So who who's that next guy? Even Chris Harris. Chris Harris was the guy we always threw at like three or four yeah. in our rankings. He was the best slot corner in the NFL yeah, for years. he was the best slot. So it, it's a changing of the guard. So you've got a Jalen Ramsey up there. You have Jair Alexander, who might actually have a better case as a more productive player. You have Xavier Howard, who made all those huge plays on the ball last year. But we also have always kind of brought him back down to earth a little bit by saying, hey, he also gives up a lot. even though." So he's kind of like the Marcus Peters, you know, he's got the big plays, but also has the negatives in there. A lot like the Devin White ex- explanation. So I, to me, that's what's interesting is who's in that top. How do you how do you arrange that top five to eight? Yeah, and corner? you know, is it has Stephon Gilmore's time at the top? Oh, Gilmore, come and yeah. gone. Like, is he now is he now a past player in terms of being in that group? Uh, yeah, it, it is interesting, and because cornerback is so volatile and, and consistent year to year, like Jair Alexander is coming off a ninety grade season, the best season of his career, uh, arguably the best cornerback in the NFL. Does Jair Alexander regress like ten grading points this year, and is good not great? Um, that's going to be pretty fascinating. I think Alexander, Bryce Callahan was the best slot corner in the NFL last year, who, again, all, like Chris Harris, also had to play outside a lot of the time. Is he going to be able to maintain that? I think cornerback, yeah, it, it's interesting at the top whether any of those guys are going to be able to stick as a long-term superstar and the, the closest thing the league has to a shutdown corner. I do think generally, though, like, cornerback has some depth to it now like again that's another position that used to be pretty thin but I think there's a lot of good corners in the league right now yeah I think that's it is it looks like I'm looking at the the beginnings of the rankings in our spreadsheet it looks like we are going to split outside and slot corners into into two separate positions so you've got a guy like Marlon Marlon Humphrey who plays both and I, I think Humphrey's becoming more you know like Charles Woodson was late in his career which not Charles Woodson basically became a linebacker safety hybrid playing in the box who could do it all and played the run and blitzed and all that stuff. Humphrey's not exactly there. Maybe he's more like a Charles Tillman where it's like, you're going to have the forced fumbles. You're going to have some splash plays. He's going to be all over the field. You're just going to see Marlon Humphrey in a given game. So he's got a little bit of that to his game as well. Um, But then, yeah, it's, it's, 
you get to some just solid players like the J.C. Jacksons of the world and um, players that are probably going to round out that top 25 who are just good solid corners. And Humphrey should be in that conversation with the Jair Alexanders and the yeah. J- uh, the Jalen Ramseys as the best corner in the NFL. He won't be because I think he's 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 very underrated, and I think because he, they ask him to do things like cover the slot, he's not going to have the numbers necessarily that some of these other guys do. Um, he's just the, his role will give up more in terms of coverage. But when you look at, like, if you just isolated his role to, you know, single coverage on the outside, he's as good as anybody over the last few years. Bryce Callahan has a chance to become our next Chris Harris. Yeah. I mean, legitimately. I mean, he was last guy. year in he terms went, of like what they asked him to do. That and we're guy, talking three straight years. He's like a five foot eight slot cornerback yeah. who Denver's cornerback room was just destroyed by injury. So multiple times last season. They were like, I know you're a five foot eight slot guy, but you're gonna have to play outside because the right. alternative is some disaster. So do your best. And he played well as an outside corner, despite being, you know, physically massively outmatched. That like that's Chris Harris to a T. That guy started off as a, you know, an undrafted slot corner who, because he was so good, like progressively earned a bigger and bigger role. And by bigger and bigger at corner, that means, you know, more important you play outside because that's how this hierarchy works. So he earned that extra responsibility. I don't know if the, the Broncos are ever going to want to do that for Callahan, but he essentially showed last year that he could do it. Yeah, pretty impressive. And third straight year with a coverage grade above 77. It was at 86. And he's just, like Chris Harris, one of those guys, if you ask the casual fan or even a hardcore fan, hey, is Bryce Callahan a top 10 to 15, 20 cornerback? Nope, definitely not. Right. Um, but just continues to produce and, and play at a high level. I think he was one of the most valuable corners in the NFL last year in terms of PFF war. Yeah. Absolutely. So there you go. It's our ranking show. We'll have a, we'll have a little bit more on uh, maybe corners and safeties as they come out. Wow, we'll you do... just dropped a little Boston syllable there. Did I? Yeah. Corners? Yeah. Corners and safeties? Uh-huh. You ever yeah. go to the corner store in the North End? No. No, I've never done it. That's great. They spell it Kana, too. C-O-N-N-A-H. The Kana store. Wow. Yeah. It's in the North End. You know, in Boston next time we're up there. Yeah. I can do the whole show in a I'll do a, I'll do Boston accent when you're that would be when a you're good Boston one. Steve, yeah. you know. Or even that could be your uh, that could be the next charity drive is you got to do the whole show. I'll do Steve from Boston. Yeah, Steve from Boston. Just get my parents on the show. Particularly, they yeah, have they're, they've got a good thick. one. Particularly if you did it like you know if you did all the one-offs that way as well. You know the social clips. <laughs> I definitely should. Tommy, Tommy's <laughs> gonna win it again in Tampa. Never should have let Tommy go. Imagine how many mad responses the main account's going to get for people that don't know it's a joke. It's just, who is this loudmouth Boston jackass banging on about Tom Brady? Oh, man. Be a lot of mad people. We'll do it. Maybe that's the next charity thing. Anyway, uh, go to Sam's Twitter. Go check out his, his pinned tweet uh, for charity. Once again, Sam will dress up like Steve and be minor league Steve, and we'll all just relive the glory days mm. of Steve's mediocre minor league baseball career. It's going to be great. Good. Sound good? Yeah. All right. So here's the deal. Uh, it's Memorial Day weekend. We hope you enjoy your Memorial Day weekend here in America. And so we're going to push the podcast to Tuesday. So yes. we're going to be back here live Tuesday morning right around 9.30 a.m. And then we'll, uh, it'll, from an audio standpoint, it'll be out Monday time, but on a Tuesday. Sound good? So we'll just be uh, pushed back by one day next week. And, and um, yeah, keep sending in those emails because a lot of the emails are going to trigger 
a lot of what we're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, this the, offseason. look, the NFL offseason is not long. It doesn't last for a huge amount of time, but we're there right now. Like, this is the offseason. Um, so hit us up with emails that, you know, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to hear about? What do you want to discuss? And just generally, the best the emails that we love are, you know, the cool stories people have or interesting ideas or whatever you have. The best emails we'll be reading out. We will give away free PFF subscriptions. So hit up the mailbox, nflpodcast at pff.com. Um, and, you know, help us give you guys better content. And you guys can still go and subscribe to the PFF NFL Daily, even though it's on short hiatus. We will be back sometime in July. We'll have a more finite date as we get closer. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you guys on Tuesday. Happy Memorial Day weekend.